It's Friday morning. That's right, Friday morning, not Friday afternoon, uh, because Cassie has court this afternoon. Uh, so we have to record this in the morning on Friday. We've locked the door so we can discuss whether we can build a wall between Florida and the rest of us. And also because it's time for another edition of our weekly podcast, Tales from the Brown Desk. I'm Jake Rigney of Rigney Law, LLC. With me as usual is my law partner, wife, and the destroyer of every dress shoe she has ever worn, Cassie Rigney. Our host is Terry Alm. Friendly reminder, Tales from the Brown Desk is a free-flowing conversation involving two foul-mouthed attorneys. It may include graphic descriptions of sexual activity, violence, and the destruction of my 401k. It may not be suitable for children, adults, humans, aliens, subterranean mole men, subterranean homesick bluesmen, and Bob Dylan. Seriously, Bob Dylan is old. He should not be listening to this. Listener discretion is advised. Here's Terry. Hello, everyone. Hi, Jake. How are you today? Oh, I am uh, I'm medium bad. So by Friday afternoon, I'm always just wiped out and sick of the entire earth. But it's the morning, so there's still a little bit of optimism that hasn't quite been wiped out yet. Um, so give me an hour or two, and, and then I'll be my normal self. It'll be wiped out after we talk about Floored Man. <laughs> I believe it. Hi, Cassie. How are you? Good morning, Terry. Very well. Thank you. Good. So today we are going to continue our series, A Walk Through the Criminal Justice System in Indiana. Our 70, our 72-part series. Yes, yeah. this is part two. This is going to go forever. Yes. This shit's complicated, guys. It is. So last week, we took the first step into the criminal justice system and discussed the criminal investigation. And this week, we're going to continue our walk with the next step. What is that? What happens after an investigation is complete? <laughs> it's, it's like we're on a stroll. We're on this like nice walk down a moonlit path. And this is the point where you get to a split in the road and down one path is uh, a nice, clean, orderly path, which is the rest of your life never having to deal with the police again. And the other path is covered in dog shit. It smells bad. It looks bad. You don't want to walk through it. But some people do. And the divergence there is some people do get charged after the investigation and some people don't. The people who don't, they go on with their lives. The people who do, welcome to Poop Town. So now we're in Poop Town. <laughs> <laughs> so an, an investigation is complete. Now someone is being charged with a crime, what happens? Well, um, you actually have uh, two options. You could be arrested immediately and the, the technical official charge come later, or you could be charged and then arrested based on like an arrest warrant. Who arrests people? Uh, pretty much any law enforcement officer um, can affect an arrest. Although the statute creates law enforcement officers that actually never arrest anyone. Like the prosecutor is technically a law enforcement officer. And uh, uh, I, I think probation officers are as well. But, um, but they don't actually carry handcuffs and arrest people. So it's, it's going to be the police. The police are going to arrest you and take you to um, usually your local county jail. And when somebody is arrested, are they always put in handcuffs? Usually, I mean, I'm not present at all the arrests. Um, it, it, I think that on low-level offenses, you know, I think 
heard of people saying, you know, they just got put in the drunk take and then got processed out and maybe handcuffs were never actually on that person. Um, I think generally you should expect to have handcuffs placed on you at some point during that process. You should also expect to be fingerprinted, um, photographed. People like to think that an arrest, it's magical with handcuffs and it's not. There's, there's potentially two different meanings for what an arrest is, right? Um, because, you know, what we're talking about is an arrest because you've been charged with a crime. Um, and if the police find you on the street, either with a warrant or they have probable cause to arrest you, and so they arrest you, yes, that's almost always going to involve handcuffs um, because the officer has to drive you somewhere and he doesn't want your hands free to be able to, I don't know, strangle him, go for his gun, kill you, I don't know what. Um, so uh, in that situation, you're going to be handcuffed. But technically, if you turn yourself in, you just go to the jail and say, hey, there's a warrant out for my arrest. Um, they take you into custody. That is an arrest um, because you're being taken behind bars. I don't know that they necessarily cuff you for that. Um, so in that situation, you wouldn't be arrested. But there's a, a different way to look at arrests, too. And part of that is whether or not um, Miranda has been read to you, right? So if you give a statement to the police and you're in custody, you're under arrest, they have to read you your rights first so that you know you don't have to talk to them. Um, but they, the Supreme Court has routinely held that that, uh, that meaning of arrest is, doesn't necessarily mean you're in handcuffs. Um, so, for example, if the police officer has your driver's license, um, you're under arrest because no one would normally feel free to leave without their license, right? Right. If you've asked the officer if you are free to leave and he says you are not, then you are under arrest, whether you're in cuffs, whether you're, you know, you're hogtied, or you're just standing there on the sidewalk talking to him, you're under arrest. So it's... It's this weird term, arrest, that can mean a couple of different things depending on the issue that's surrounding it. And even the police don't always know whether they've actually arrested you or not because they'll tell you you're not under arrest sometimes when legally by Miranda you are. Um, and it's because it's, it's sort of a complicated term and that they don't always understand it. Yeah, that explanation goes to the heart of why people don't like lawyers, um, and but also why our specialty gets us paid the big bucks. Um, you know, TV, entertainment, television makes this really easy, but it's it's very complicated. Yeah, and when Cassie says people don't like lawyers, what she means is people don't like me. Like, because the answer is, I don't know, maybe. No, that's a common lawyer answer is maybe. So when someone's arrested and brought to jail and fingerprinted, do they get a phone call? Like, is that, um, that's something that TV shows people that you get a phone call, you have a right to call somebody. At some point, you will be allowed to place a phone call. This idea that, I mean, I guess I'm picturing, you know, the phone with the cord in the interview room where the inter the cop puts it down there. Like, I demand a phone call because my guess, 
No, I take that back. You get like a two minute free phone call at some point, but then you're on the hook for the 30 cents a minute or whatever it is. Um, but you, you have to be pro- you know processed in um, is one of the things. And certainly if you're going in a sentence, there's a dead zone. And if you're going to the Department of Corrections, um, you have to get processed in there and you can be in a position where you don't get a phone call for weeks there. For weeks? Well, they're processing you in. They're assessing you for which facility to go to. And no, you can't You can't place or get phone calls. For weeks. That's shocking to me. But you're also in that, in that situation. You're convicted and you're on your way to serve a, an executed sentence at the Department of Corrections versus when you're pre-charging or even pre-conviction, your rights are different. I mean, you, you haven't been convicted. You have the presumption of innocence there. But, I mean, once you're convicted, the, the world has changed for you. So um, when someone is arrested, do they know right off the bat if they're going to get out soon or if there is a, a bond set? No. Um, they Every county handles those situations a little bit differently. And it de- it'll depend quite a bit on what county you're in. Um, most counties, but not all of them, have a bond schedule. So the clerk will sort of default to a particular bond level and set that bond for you as soon as the sheriff lets them know that you're in custody. Um, but it is different from place to place. And in some of them, they will hold you without bond um, for a while uh, while they wait to decide what to set for you, which is weird because there is a constitutional, uh, there's a provision in the Indiana Constitution that guarantees bond to people who've been accused of crimes other than murder. Um, So it's weird that they can hold you without bond, but some of them do, and it's not really the kind of thing that's easy to challenge. So a lot of times that just happens. Um, But assuming you're not charged with murder, you will eventually get some kind of a bond. They are supposed to bring you to a judge after you've been arrested um, promptly, I think is all the statute says. Um, Different judges have different opinions on what promptly means. Um, I know that I've seen them take several days sometimes, but in some places they can have you within, in front of a judge within hours. So it just kind of depends. And at some point on your, on your pending case, you will receive a bond. Um, the question of whether you can make that bond or not is something entirely different. Um, but you will have some kind of bond on your case unless you're charged with murder. And if you're charged with murder, they hold you without bond uh, unless you claim that they don't have a case where the, quote, presumption is strong. Don't ask me what presumption that is. I guess it's the presumption that you're guilty. But it it's a, it's a weirdly worded constitutional provision. It, it really probably ought to be amended to be a little clearer about exactly how that's supposed to work. So after somebody is arrested and they're taken to jail, what is the next step? Like what, what is the state doing? At some point, the police are going to tell the county prosecutor that they believe they have probable cause for the offense. 
specific offenses. The prosecutor uh, will review that, and uh, when they decide to charge, then they'll actually charge it because it's the prosecutor that files the paperwork with the court. Then the court has to decide if they have probable cause for the offenses uh, because the court could reject those charges at that point. Um, But if they make that probable cause hearing, then the process is going to go forward. And if you don't get out on bond, you'll stay in jail while that process is going forward. That's when we go into discovery, where you do depositions, where you track down witnesses, all that pretrial stuff. Is it common at all for the police to arrest somebody and then it get to the prosecutor and the prosecutor finds that there's no actual um, legal reason to arrest the person? Well, that's not what the prosecutor says um, when they decide not to charge people. That does happen where people get arrested and then the prosecutor's office declines to file charges. I couldn't tell you what percentage of the time that happens, but... I mean, my my estimate is that it's probably around, it's probably between 5 and 15% of arrests where the prosecutor says, this isn't a case we're going to charge, just let him go. It does happen. It doesn't happen real often, but I've seen it. But when they do that, they don't say, this person is innocent or, <laughs> or there's no probable cause here. They just file a little one-page piece of paper that says the state declines to file charges in this case. So, and then Chad just gets to go home. So does that arrest stay on Chad's record? Or since he, see he was arrested but not charged, is it on his record now? It would, yes. And it would follow him around? Until and unless it was expunged. Okay. So what comes next? Well, um, for the people who who don't get charged, as we said, they just go on the bright, shiny path on with the rest of their lives. Um, Although they are still subject to being charged later down the road if the prosecutor's office decides they've developed enough of a case to charge him. Um, So the statute of limitations starts running, but beyond that, um, they're free to go. For the people who've been charged, they go into um, their initial hearing. An initial hearing is usually a pretty short hearing in Indiana where uh, the judge informs the defendant of what they're charged with, what the penalty ranges are for those charges, sets an omnibus date, which is a deadline date for the filing of certain motions, and then typically the judge will also set the case for a number of additional hearings, maybe one, maybe more than one, and also the judge will inquire usually to the defendant whether they want to hire an attorney or whether they can afford an attorney. When they can't, often the judge will appoint the public defender's agency, although that process, um, I shouldn't say the public defender's agency because not all counties have an agency, um, but that process varies a bit from county to county. In some counties, the judge will still do the thing where he actually says, well, you want to plead guilty or not guilty? Um, And Sometimes people just say guilty, and then he just brings them over and sentences them. Um, At the initial hearing? Yeah. Hmm. Um, Sometimes, uh, but in in other counties, they've dispensed with that formality. They enter not guilty pleas for everyone who comes in for an initial hearing and asks um, if they're going to hire an attorney or if they need one appointed or if they want to represent themselves. And So depending on how you respond to those questions— The judge decides whether you're entitled to um, a public defender or if you tell them you're going to hire an attorney, they'll they'll be happy and they'll give you some time to do that. 
Um, so that's sort of what happens next, the initial hearing. Um, it's, it's straightforward. I've actually sat pro tem um, as a judge through many initial hearings, and they all kind of run the same way. Um, and it's just basically those things. It takes about five or ten minutes. Sometimes on some offenses, the judge will also review your bond. So the clerk at that point has already entered some kind of bond for you. Um, sometimes the judge will agree to change that. But the victim has the right to be aware of those types of hearings and attend them if they want. And so if there's a victim in the case, usually they won't do that at the initial hearing. But if there, um, if there is no victim, for example, like a prostitution case or a drug case or something else, the judge may do a bond review right there at the initial hearing. How long after someone is arrested and put in jail do they have to wait until their initial hearing, typically? They're supposed to be brought in at 72 hours is the rule of thumb. If you're in jail and you go to your initial hearing, is there any expectation to leave the courthouse and go home, or are you going back to jail if you came from jail? Well, even if the judge releases you on your own recognizance, they don't take off the cuffs and you walk out the courthouse. You have to go back to the jail and get booked out. Um, I mean, if you walked in, you might get taken into custody, um, but if you were brought in handcuffs in the custody of the sheriff, you will leave in the custody of the sheriff. That's just not how they release people from their responsibility and record keeping standpoint. Right. If you think about it, I mean, the sheriff, the sheriff books everyone in. Um, it would be weird if he, if he was allowed to book people in and then not book them out when they were done. Right. Yeah. Um, so you have to go back. They don't let you keep your nice orange clothes that they give you, um, and your Crocs. Um, <laughs> cause, cause by the way, in most, in a lot of places, if you're an inmate, you're wearing Crocs. Um, I wonder how much we've paid the company that makes Crocs. That would be an interesting question. Because um, the, the Crocs always look disgusting. Like, I don't know how old they are and how many we have to, how many new ones we have to buy a year. But they come in a lot of sizes. Um, but yeah, they don't let you keep that stuff. So they change you back out into the clothes you came in with and um, give you your stuff back. Kind of like, Kind of like the beginning scenes of the Blues Brothers, <laughs> where where Jake's getting out of prison. Uh, it's it's like that basically. It's it's just like that. So when they have to uh, take you back to jail and go through the the outgoing booking process, how long does that take? How long can someone expect to to be released and free? Well. Luckily, I don't have personal experience in this. I have been told, depending on the jail, I mean, it could be a couple hours. It could be days. Uh, Marion County uh, has had a law firm has been able to certify a, a class action lawsuit against the Marion County Sheriff's Office for their delay in releasing people on order of the court um, because they were seeing, I mean, in Marion County, it can take days. It can take days. And they call a lawyer, what are you going to do? The judge has ordered you released. You know, I can't go down there and knock on the jail, jailhouse door and demand you to leave. They're not, they're, you know, they're, they're not going to respond to me. Um, but, but there is legal action on that. So unfortunately it could be days. Why does it take so long? You'd have to ask the sheriff that, um, or his employees. 
um, because we we don't know, and they're never going to give us a straight answer about why it takes so long. Um, We know that it shouldn't take so long because in other counties, we see it happen very quickly. Um, one, One in particular that I can think of, I think Hancock County, they get people out of there when they're done very rapidly. Usually it's, it's like an hour or, or a couple, right? And, and the Hancock County jail's got them back in their clothes. They're out. Now, granted the Hancock County jail is smaller. They have fewer inmates, so they have less work to do. So it's probably a little easier, but it's not like 72 hours easier. (laughs) It's, it's just not that difficult a task to go get a guy, change his clothes, give him his stuff back and, and wish Chad a, a, a happy life. Um, but, um, Marion County seems to make it pretty complicated sometimes. I don't, I don't know why it, they may have a lot of bureaucracy. They may have a lot of paperwork because they've, you know, maybe it's because they've built in a lot of things after releasing people they shouldn't have released. That's happened, right? The, the jail has released people that they weren't supposed to release for one reason or another. Um, and so maybe they've built additional procedures into their release that cause that, but I, I really don't know. Um, only they could tell you. So we are now going to interrupt this episode to bring you the latest Florida Man news. Yes. And I don't even know where to begin because Florida Man has upped his naked ante. Um, <laughs> what is a naked ante? How do you... <laughs> How do you post a naked ante? Um, do you do you take your clothes off or do you? I don't. The image of him humping the change machine has been in my mind since we recorded the last one. I just see this bare ass humping this machine because I walk by one at the next door grocery store. So every time I look at it, I can't look at it without thinking about it being defiled by Florida man. And I, now I feel bad because the story didn't actually say that Florida man humped a, a change machine. I just said that. I was exaggerating <laughs> to create an image for everyone and and now I've scarred my poor wife with my sense of humor. I'm I'm sorry, hon. That's that's my fault. It sounded like something Florida man would do. It does sound like something Florida man would do, doesn't it? It does, especially if it was within the last week. <laughs> because Florida man uh-huh. and Florida woman, not just one Florida man either. Numerous right. Florida men. Okay. Numerous Florida women right. have been arrested over the last week for masturbating in public. Okay. So I don't know what's going on down there. Here's just some headlines that are um, out there. Okay. There is a Disney cast member who was arrested after he masturbated while watching pornography in a customer waiting room of a car dealership. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he wanted to make his car buying decision with a clear head. I don't know. (laughs) He said he had an urge and he just couldn't fight the urge. So there in the car dealership waiting room in front of people, he handles his business. I disagree with his assertion that he could, he could not resist his urge. In just in front of other people, he just uh, just pulls it out and yes, goodness, yes, that's. And then another Florida man, he was accused of vandalizing of a home 
and said that he listened to too much music and masturbated too much, which made him feel like going and destroying stuff. But he doesn't stop. There's another Florida man who masturbated in a hospital in front of staff before he fought with the staff and a security guard. No. Wait. wait. <laughs> you're running I know. You're running it's... through these too quickly, Terry, and I have I have too many questions. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I'm just seeing you surrounded by nurses feverishly jerking it. And then when he's done, like, balling up his fist, like, I'm ready Pretty now. Pretty much. All right. Pretty much. Now that we've got the preliminaries out of the way, let's do fisticuffs. Yeah. Who wants to get punched by this jerk-off hand first? Florida woman wasn't going to let Florida man go at this alone. <laughs> she, she was arrested for masturbating inside a Starbucks lobby while she was waiting for a friend to come pick her up to take her to the hospital for a spider bite. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so to recap, got bit by a spider, went to Starbucks, because that makes sense, didn't have her friend come and pick her up where she got bit by the spider, but had her friend come pick her up at the Starbucks, and then while waiting... yeah. Decided to pleasure herself in in the Starbucks in front of everyone. Yes. Florida woman also, a different Florida woman, was driving her car with just a pink shirt on. And she... Just a pink shirt. Just just a pink shirt. Um, She pulled over and got out of her car and started pleasing herself on the side of the highway. She was um, arrested for masturbating. So it's not just Florida man, but something's going on down there in Florida. There was another Florida man who was arrested for exposing and fondling himself in a Burger King. Not okay. No. And then there was a TV cop, Florida man cop, who was arrested for masturbating in front of a woman and then rubbing his semen on her. Wait, wait, wait. So He's gone crazy. TV cop? What? Yeah. I don't understand. Uh, can we let, let's back that one up? I, what he did was gross, but I don't even understand who he is. Okay, he's a Florida man, TV cop. Please don't let it be Michael Pena. No, Michael <laughs> wouldn't do anything like that. I mean, I wouldn't think so, but I mean, he is a a TV cop, or he was. So, TV cop masturbated in front of a woman, then rubbed his semen on her. Sheriff's deputy Joseph Mercado, who's twenty five years old was given the boot from his job and charged with a misdemeanor battery. He is said to have gone to a woman's home at about 3 a.m. with a fake story about a serious incident. She was talking to him in her driveway, and that's when he... So he had his uniform on. Yes. From my understanding, he did. And he made up this fake story to go and talk to her. So the TV series that he was on was an A&E series, Live PD. Oh, so he was on Live PD. Okay. Um, yeah, that show just got canceled, by the way. Um, I heard Cops got canceled, too? Yeah, they both did. Um, as fallout from the, uh, the, the, the Minnesota one, George Floyd. Yeah. Um, so Live PD was actually um, a somewhat interesting show for a defense attorney to watch, and I'll tell you why. Um, they didn't edit what was happening, right? So it wasn't like cops where they film it all and then you get 
an edit of it later. Mm-hmm. Um, ostensibly where the police or very police favorable editing crew gets to take the parts out that they don't want you to see. Live PD was legal or was live. Like they would just cut to and from live camera crews in different cities across the country when things were happening. And it was interesting to me because you couldn't go three minutes without them allegedly, without them quite probably violating someone's constitutional rights. Wow. Um, you know, they just make people stop for no reason. Um, they'd search things that they didn't have probable cause or permission to search without warrants. Um, they go looking for guns, things like that. Um, and you know, pat people down, even though they didn't have reasonable suspicion or any, any act that would cause them to be afraid of them, which is the thing they have to do before they can pat you down. They have to have some reason to be afraid of you. Hmm. Um, and they would just do that all the time. The thing about it is that most of the time when they did it, they wouldn't find anything incriminating. And so there's no evidence to suppress and there doesn't end up being any case to deal with. But when Live PD was on, you could see them doing it over and over and over again, violating people's rights in ways that would never end up in court because um, because they didn't find anything. Right. That's the one drawback to what we call the exclusionary rule. Um, What the exclusionary rule is, is. Essentially, if the cops break the law to find evidence against you, then the, then the state can't use the evidence against you at the trial. They, they can't present it. Um, sometimes that gets the whole case thrown out. Sometimes it doesn't. But when the police violate your rights and don't find anything, nothing happens to them. There's no penalty. Even when all. it's on live TV. Even when it's online, I mean, look, who are these people? You're not going to find them. You can't, I'm not allowed to go find them and ask them to sue anyway, right? What are they going to do? They're not going to sue over it. They're just going to go on with their lives. But these violations were happening all the time on live TV and the other on live PD. And the other interesting thing about it is they have a lawyer on that show, like as the host, I think Dan Abrams hosts that show. He's a lawyer. And never says a word about any of that. He's just like, okay, let's go to Austin, Texas and see what Deputy Blah Blah is doing. <laughs> and it's like Dan Abrams and three cops, and they're just like, oh, yep, maybe, yeah, he arrested him. Yep, yep. It just, and it's just stunning as a defense attorney to watch it. I got so mad after like one episode, I just had to quit watching it. I was in Las Vegas. I remember I was watching it in Las Vegas, and I was like, God, I can't watch this. Um, but it was just. Uh, a wild show to watch. I bet I watched it a couple times. It was <laughs> it was pretty wild, but I didn't know all the laws the cops were breaking. Like I don't have the insight like you do. Yeah, no, they, they just walk up, pat people down. You know, even though there's not the call hasn't doesn't have anything to do with weapons, and they're not acting. You know, they're not doing anything that would cause an officer to be concerned. Um, you know, just all sorts of other things like that, searching cars without permission or warrants. Um, cars that the people weren't even in, they were just nearby, like all sorts of weird stuff. But it's the nature of those things. So that's all the time we have for today. And we will continue navigating through the criminal justice system next week on Tales from the Brown Desk. In part three of what will be a 73-part series that we will eventually call Everything Jake and Cassie Know About Everything. No, just kidding. Um, Actually, we might call it that. I don't know. I got to play with my papers. Oh, thank you, papers, with my papers. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to Tales from the Brown Desk. Please remember, while we may discuss legal issues and provide information regarding the law to our listeners, we do not intend to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener. Our advice may not be applicable to some legal issues. Please consult with an attorney you have hired to review your legal situation before you attempt to apply the things we have said to your case. Hey, also, we take requests on this podcast. Okay, not requests, but we take listener questions. Just email Terry, uh, that's T-E-R-I, at rigneylawindy.com and entitle your email podcast question, and we'll read it on our next podcast. Unless we start getting too many questions, and then we'll just read the good ones from Chad. The attorneys at Rigney Law do not comment on their current pending cases. Nothing we've said in this podcast is a comment on a case we are currently working on, even if your name is Chad or if you are a man or woman from Florida. Take care, everyone. Have a good weekend.